and we had what's called a wrap. And basically, uh, we crashed parachutes through each other. We were spinning. So I had one of my buddy's parachutes was wrapped around my head, and we were in a spinning, you know, mess of tangled canopies. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today is about skydiving with Pete Waldroop. Pete grew up in a small town in the Ozarks of northeastern Oklahoma. He did a lot of road biking, canoeing, hiking, and camping. But then when he turned 18, he found his true passion. He took up skydiving. Since then, he's led an adventure-filled life as an entrepreneur, trying all sorts of adventure sports, including sailing and wakeboarding and, of course, skydiving. Pete now has over 2,800 jumps and is active in skydiving competitions, competing at the USPA U.S. National Skydiving Championships for the last five years. He's been awarded one bronze and six silver medals in various disciplines, including canopy relative work formations and four and eight person freefall formations. Pete, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kurt. Thanks. So, Pete, I know that there are going to be a lot of listeners who are going to have a lot of curious questions about skydiving. It's one of those sports that is pretty edgy, and people just always want to know, what is that really like? So I'm glad you're here today to uh, help our listeners understand more about the sport. Will you take a few minutes to tell the listeners more about yourself and your connection and experience in skydiving? Sure. I'm happy to do it. Good morning, everyone. I um, started skydiving, like you said, when I was 18, and I actually saw the sport. The town that I grew up in amazingly held the world championships when I was four or five, and I saw the sport then, and I just all those years thought about it, and uh, my brother did the same thing. He was older, so when he turned 18, you had to be 18 in Oklahoma to uh, skydive, um, and so when our parents were, were not going to agree to sign for us to, when we were younger than 18. So when we were 18, he went out and made his first jump. I was there. I watched him, and Five years later, six years later, I went and uh, made my first jump the same way. And um, I think it just hooked me for life. I made about 550 jumps between then and the time I got out of college or a little bit after college, I guess. And then I took a break for a few years uh, from the sport, like a lot of people do as life takes over. And then I got back into the sport several years ago. And uh, I'd always thought that I would and I wanted to. And I, I found that there were a lot of skydivers who'd done the same thing. Life kind of took over and they got busy and then they came back to that sport that they loved. But I'll tell you, when, when you're three miles up in the air and um, you open the door and you look out and you're looking down at clouds, you completely clear your mind of anything that, that is out there, any of the stress and the problems and the day-to-day worries and the relationships and the work and all the stuff that's going on, it disappears. And you have this moment of startling clarity where all you do is you realize, I'm about to leap into space and I love it. I'm going to fly through the sky for the next minute and a few seconds. And then I'm going to get under this canopy and I'm going to, I'm going to soar like a bird or a plane. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> wow. You make it sound so much fun. And I got to tell the listeners, it's been quite a while back, but I actually did one jump with Pete and he was there for it. And I can tell you from that jump that I did, his description is, is dead on, dead on. 
it's just a, it's an amazing experience. I, I think everyone needs to do it at least once like I did, and, and I'm glad that Pete has been able to make a, a lifelong passion out of it. Pete, why would you encourage people to try skydiving? You know, I'll say that I think um, if you are looking for something that you can be passionate about um, and you like the thrill idea of it, it's a great sport to try. But beyond even that, I think the camaraderie of the sport and the, and the, the people that are there, um, you will meet people from all different walks of life, doctors, lawyers, every profession you can imagine, uh, mechanics and uh, I, one of my good friends uh, does pole work for an electric company, and um, you're just going to meet people who have this single bond together, and you, you're there in that environment and you know background and race and, and religion and all the things that sometimes separate us don't matter when you're skydiving. You become a part of a community, and so if you seek that along with a sport that is just so exciting, then I would say it's an opportunity to go try something and see if you love it. Um, it's fun. A lot of people come out and try the sport. A lot of people, like you did it, Kurt, uh, a lot of tandems, and they and they try it, and they say, okay, it was awesome. I may not do it again. But then you get those folks who, kind of like me, they do it, and they're like, I know right then. I've got to do it again, and I want to be a part of what's going on. And I can walk to a drop zone anywhere in the country, and I love the smell of you know parachutes and just the whole environment. And um, I walk in, and I feel at home wherever I am. <laughs> That's fun. You know, I would have really enjoyed doing skydiving as a long-term sport, but I had some things in my life at the time that just made it seem like it was a, a long reach. And then I started my family and, you know, life just carries on. But I would have really enjoyed skydiving as a, as a, a lifelong pursuit because it is that fun. And it is that it's just like Pete said, uh, amazing way to get rid of all the stress, you know, for the the few moments that you're you're in free fall and then under the canopy, there's nothing else going on except for for what you're doing right there, right then. And when you uh, you land, then any stress that you had, it, it's gone. You just burned it all off when you stepped out of that plane. Yep, that's exactly right, Kurt. You, I've known you for a long time. You certainly share the adventure bug uh, that I have as well, and uh, I, I love your podcast for that reason. So people are going to want to know more about how. Um, you got into skydiving, not just the whys, but if someone wanted to try skydiving today, what do they do? They go to some drop zone and then what? Well, great question for sure. Um, it's a lot easier today than it was 20, <laughs> 23 years ago when I started or Actually, uh, sorry, make that uh, almost 30 years ago. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> now that I'm doing the math, it's actually quite a bit, uh, uh, 29 years ago. Uh, today, of course, you know, get on the Internet and find a drop zone near you. Uh, we didn't have that then. I just happened to know where one was. But uh, find a drop zone. Now, what I would suggest is I'd do a little research. I would only go to a USPA drop zone. That's the United States Parachute Association. And those are the drop zones that have been rated by the USPA for safety um, of equipment and people, and they're following the practices. And, and I would start with that. There are a few drop zones out there that are not USPA affiliated, and I wouldn't go there to start. Um, I think there's some risk to the sport, and you want to go to the safest possible facility. So the next thing I would do is look around for the drop zone. If you've got a choice, uh, I live in Dallas. We have a choice of drop zones. Uh, there are some smaller ones where they have one single uh, 182 aircraft. It's a four-person plane. Those are fine. I will say what I did was I found a drop zone. I go to Skydive Dallas, which is a fantastic facility, and they've got two large aircraft. One's a twin otter. It holds 23 skydivers, and the other is a, a Cessna Caravan. 
and it holds uh, 13 or 14, something like that. So these these are quality aircraft, well maintained, and uh, the equipment is well maintained. And so the better skydivers tend to go to these larger facilities. So by that nature, there's more there. The gear is newer, better. The instructors are current, and so I think look around and try to find you know the best facility near you to go to. Then it's pretty easy. You get there, you tell them, hey, I'd like to try skydiving. They're going to ask you how you want to try it. There's a couple of methods. Um, the first method and the easiest way to try it is the way you try it, Kurt, which is by tandem. And what you do is you sign up for a class and it'll take you about half a day probably by the time you do it all. But really what you do is you show up, you watch a 30 minute video. And then when they call your slot, um, you put your gear on and uh, you go up with an instructor, you're attached to them in free fall and uh, they're going to walk you through the whole skydive. So what you get to do is experience skydiving, everything from opening that door and looking out into space and realizing, oh, Cow, what did I do? I'm about to leap from a plane to free fall to actually soaring through the clouds, although we're not supposed to soar through the clouds. And then, uh, you know, opening the canopy and, and landing and you get the whole experience and it's the safest, easiest way to do it. And that's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. And if you want to add video, it's probably another hundred bucks, something like that to give you a sense of it. Um, then the other way to do it is what's called accelerated free fall. And with accelerated free fall, what you do is you go up with two instructors you're a fully coached, prepared skydiver. You have a full day of training before you go. And then they go up with you and assist you. But you have your own parachute. You're not attached to anyone. They make sure that you can open the parachute, etc. I always recommend that you do the tandem first uh, because it gives you a chance to really see the sport. And one of the things that happens that first time, and frankly, a lot of times, after you jump out of a plane, you get what's called sensory overload. It's, it's almost too much to take for the first couple of seconds that you just leapt from a plane, right? And so I think tandem is a great way to try the sport safely uh, to start. And then what we, a lot of people who love the sport after that can then go on and, um, and do the accelerated free fall program. So either of those are great, but that's the order I'd recommend it. Find a great drop zone. Do a tandem jump. See if you love it. So sensory overload. I, I've got to tell a little bit of my story, Pete, because you mentioned that I'm the kind of guy who does well under pressure and uh, tense situations. I, I generally make wise decisions and get through just fine. I, I preface it that way because one of the things that they teach you is you jump out of the plane. The first thing you want to do is, is you know, arch your back and put your arms and legs out so you're in that free fall position. Um, I stepped out on the strut of that airplane and we rolled off of that plane. And I, it was probably two, three seconds before I remembered to hit that hard arch <laughs> and get into the free fall position because it was sensory overload. I, we were just doing flips and I, I loved it. But I was like, wow. And then we kind of had an interesting dive. I don't know if you remember, Pete, but um, our drogue chute, which is used to slow a tandem dive down and free fall a little bit, had, uh, had twisted a little bit and it started a spinning and the funny thing is that here I am in free fall and I'm watching the world spin in circles. And with a sensory overload, I was like, wow, what's going on? I didn't even realize that we were spinning like we were. I just, you know, it was just stuff was going on and I was excited and having fun. And um, I was just surprised, I guess, to say that it was so much of a, of a, a growth experience that at first I didn't realize that I hadn't hit my free fall position. And then when we were spinning, I didn't even collect that we were spinning for a few seconds. So there is some sensory overload. Yep, no question. And everybody experiences exactly what you did, including me and everyone else has done the sport. And even 
you know, first hundred jumps, I think, are kind of tough. And then you, you gradually get, I won't say tough, but I'll say you get some of that sensory overload. But then you gradually get where you're, you're really cognizant throughout the whole process. Uh, when we're competing now, we're trying to be out exiting the plane and moving um, in under a second. And so you've got to be completely aware of what's going on at all times. I'm looking at the whole team. I'm trying to take it all in. That doesn't happen the first jump you make, of course, right? When you're leaping <laughs> and all you can think is, oh my gosh, I just slept from a plane. I'm crazy. <laughs> I The moment for me was when the instructor um, told me it was time to step out on that airplane strut. I couldn't believe I was stepping out of an airplane. <laughs> That's right. You know? And then once I'm in that position, I... It, as soon as he put his weight behind me, I was gone. I didn't have a choice about jumping or not jumping. <laughs> you know, we're just going. But it was it was amazing experience. So, yep. Pete, tell us about one of the most amazing skydiving experiences that you've had that you would say really hooked you on the sport. It, give us an idea of why you've kept doing this for goodness. What are we saying now? Thirty years? Twenty nine years? That's not it. <laughs> yeah, great. I think there's so many great experiences like that. Um, you know, for me, if I think in, in more recent years, one of the great experiences was going to the U.S. Nationals uh, in, in 2010 with a team that I'd trained for all trained with all year. And, you know, being in the door, the first jump at Nationals and looking out and realizing that all the work we'd put in, not only were we skydiving, leaping out of a plane, but I can still remember vividly the picture in my mind and every moment of, you know, how beautiful it was that day. It was in uh, outside Chicago and it was a little bit crisp and cool. It was in September. And I just remember thinking, you know, here I am with these these four guys. There's, there's four of us in four way that are that are doing the competition and one video person above us. But the video person is just as important as the rest of the team. And I remember thinking, you know, I love these guys. And here we are, we're getting ready to, we, we trained for a year to do this, to be here for 10 jumps. And um, I thought, man, this is one of the greatest experiences of my life to just get to do this. Um, and I, I've done that several times. I did that same thing back in the 80s when I started skydiving with a team that I with then for canopy relative work where we're building formations with our canopies open as opposed to building them in free fall. And uh, I can remember thinking the same thing then that, you know, here it is. We've trained hard. We've worked hard. And I'm about to do this. And uh, it's just so rewarding. That's neat. I think a lot of people may have thought that you would say, oh, it's the feeling of flight. It's the freedom. It's the, you know, the, the experiences you have flying through the clouds or what have you. But I like it that what you brought out was um, camaraderie, friendship, hard work, goal achievement, you know, competing, doing something that you've worked hard for and you have that fulfillment. That's that's really cool. So what is it like when you fall out of a plane or you jump out of a plane, does it feel like you're falling or do you feel like you're flying or take us through the, the experience from jumping to the plane to landing? Great. Okay. So you're on the ground, you've got your parachute packed. Um, one of the things that's great in today's skydiving world is that we now have professional packers. You know, when I was growing up and I was, you know, a poor kid from Oklahoma in the eighties, I did my own packing. So I packed my own first 550 jumps. I don't pack anymore. I pay someone to pack my parachute for me. It cost me six bucks plus tip and it's well worth it. Uh, so I put my uh, newly packed parachute on and I'll make 12 jumps in a day to give uh, listeners an idea. Um, a little less if we're not training, but on a training day, we normally train 12 and 12. Again. Um, so put your gear on, 
and the plane comes around, they have you have it on a load number. I'm on Otter 27, for example, and so I'll uh, walk out to the aircraft um, when we're signaled by the loader with uh, 24 other people. We'll climb on the plane, and um, we it's in the summertime, of course, in Texas, it's hot, hotter than blazes. You're wearing a jumpsuit and a parachute and a helmet, and you're sweating like crazy. Uh, in the spring and fall, it's really beautiful, but you're not not quite so hot. Anyway, so they shut the door on the plane. It's just so hot. Plane takes off, and that's uh, you know fine. We, we're actually on a grass strip. A lot of them are on concrete strips, but you, know, you get a little bouncing around. And then uh, at a, at 1,500 feet, we can open the door. So some of us are actually sitting back by the door, and usually the teams like us are at the very back of the plane uh, for a variety of reasons, mostly because we get out first. And so uh, we'll pop that door open, and so just sitting there with at 1500 feet with a door open where you could easily just fall out, which is always funny because it never happens, but you could if you wanted to. And uh, you're letting that cool air blow in and cool you off. And you're finally, you finally stop sweating in the summer because it's hot and uh, plane circles, you know, climbs to altitude. It takes about uh, 15 minutes with an otter versus 45 with a Cessna 182. Another good reason to find a drop zone with an otter. If you can, (laughs) those otters work. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So uh, it gets cooler and cooler as you climb, and uh, you get to we competition jump from ten thousand five hundred feet. Um, we fun jump from thirteen thousand five hundred feet. So you get to thirteen five, and it's actually kind of chilly, uh, even in the middle of summer. It's fun. It's a good thirty forty degrees cooler than on the ground typically. And uh, by this time, we've probably closed the door so people can get ready, do gear checks, safety checks, all that. So we go through all that. I'm very meticulous about it. I'm known for this, um, and a lot of skydivers are. Uh, I have my gear checked every time by someone else on the plane to make sure my pen, which holds the parachute in, is is in good shape and everything looks good on my gear. Um, and so, so we uh, we get on jump run. There's two lights on the plane. One's a red light. One's a green light. Uh, the red light comes on, and that's the signal to open the door. So the door is open back up if it was closed. And uh, now we're looking out. In the old days, we would we would spot the plane, which means we'd tell the pilot where to go with GPS now. Pilot just goes where he's going to go and tells us to get out. <laughs> so it's, it's well, there you go. less work from the skydiver. So um, when the light goes green, then that's our that's our signal to exit. So the first team immediately climbs out, our first group. Um, and what what I mean by climb out is there's handles outside the plane. And so in four way, for example, um, our camera guy will get on a step behind the behind the door. He actually climbs outside the plane completely, and then um, and then two of the skydivers in the four way group are outside the plane, and two are in. And so depending on which position you're in, you'll be in one of those. And uh, we'll give a what is basically a silent count, shake down, out, or ready, set, go. And then the group leaves together. And, uh, you know, you got all that wind at you. If you're competition jumping, you're really thinking about the skydive. What's fun when you're fun jumping is that you can really enjoy the view and the majesty of it and the excitement of I'm getting ready to jump from a plane. That first couple of seconds, you definitely get the roller coaster feel. Um, even today, you you're, you get that falling sensation. But after about five seconds, that's gone, and then you really feel more like you're flying, um, and you you lose track of the fact that you're screaming towards the earth at 120 to 125 miles an hour, and you're just you're you're focused on building formations, flying your body, learning to be better, like anything. And then um, you get you fall to about um, four thousand feet. And we'll do a break off. Everybody will do what's called a track to get away from each other. And so you put your body into a plank kind of position and you fly as far away from the other skydivers as you can uh, for a few seconds. And then um, and that way, when you deploy your parachute, you, um, you don't have as much of a likelihood of running into each other under canopy, which is bad. So then you've got uh, depending on the parachute style that you have, some are really fast and aggressive like mine. Uh, you've got a couple of minutes of canopy ride getting to the ground and uh 
you know, I love being under canopy and sometimes in the summer we'll go up and we'll just deploy our parachutes right out the door and float around and fly around clouds. And it's just, that's one of my favorite parts, but then you come in, you land, the parachutes are extremely guidable today. Uh, mine will land going about 30 miles an hour. And so then I try to slow it down before my, my feet can't run that fast and, and I hit the ground. Uh, but we'll come in, we'll land and, uh, take our rigs in and, and I go again. And when we're competition training, I have two rigs and I'll actually pick one up and meet the plane I just got out of and get on it and go again. We'll do what are called quads. So four loads in a row, then we're down for a load and then four loads in a row, down for a load, four loads in a row. Wow. That's a very good description. So, um, when you jump out at say 10, five or 13 and you deploy your chute right away, how long are you in the sky before you get to the ground? So at our drop zone, they won't let you deploy over 10, but okay. um, because we're actually, we're actually in the air pattern for the jets coming into DFW above that. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Which is funny because there are times when you actually look over and you see a jet off and you you wonder if people are getting ready to watch you from those jets as you look. <laughs> but, uh, Very cool. you know, you've got a good, I don't know that I've ever timed it, but I'm going to say you've got a good 10 or 15 minutes under canopy that you're just probably 15 minutes that you're just floating around out there and it's so fun. Sometimes we'll do our, our long distance jumps. So we'll go out a few miles and then float back to the drop zone. If it's windy, that's fun also. The Kindness Diaries, the new book by Leon Logothetis, the global adventurer, motivational speaker and philanthropist, is now available. The Kindness Diaries chronicles Leon's travel around the globe fueled only on the kindness of others. Visit www.leonlogothetis.com to learn more about Leon's adventures and look for The Kindness Diaries anywhere books are sold. Hey all you mountain biking enthusiasts out there, come be a part of the 2015 CycleFest Colorado on May 16th. The Cycle Fest is a day of festivities supporting the Colorado High School Cycling League. All of the proceeds go to support cross-country mountain biking in Colorado and Wyoming. Special guest Sonia Looney will be there leading an afternoon ride for students and also speaking as a special guest at dinner that night. The dinner is at the American Mountaineering Center in Golden, Colorado, once again, May 16th. You can buy tickets at www.coloradomtb.org. That is Colorado, M as in mountain, T as in trail, B as in bike.org. Come be a part of the fun. Hi, this is Alan Carl, a world rider. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. mentioned quite a bit about competing and that it changes the dynamic of a flight, but you mentioned two types of competing, right? You do canopy relative work. You also do free fall formations. Um, tell our listeners what this means. Sure. I'll say that I used to do canopy relative work uh, in the 80s when I started jumping. Um, but what that means is you open your parachutes, again, four of us or eight. Uh, but what we do is two different things. One is we try to build different formations like a diamond with four canopies. Um, and so they would give you several formations and you try to build them you have a timed event, two or three minutes, and you try to build them as many times as you can in the time you have. And then the other canopy formation competition was you'd build a stack. So four jumpers high holding on to each, each other's, the tops of each other's parachutes, and on the top rotates to the bottom, and it's called, surprisingly enough, rotation. And you try to do as many of those as you can in the two-minute time. So that's canopy relative work, and I really don't do that anymore. 
it's become a dated uh, part of the sport. And it's a little more, frankly, a little more on the risky side because you're messing with an open canopy, Curtis. So as I've gotten older, I've got a little more cautious. How about that? <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Speaking of caution, tell us about a time when things did not go as planned. We know you got through it because you're here to tell us about it. But when things didn't go as planned and what you learned from the experience and any advice you might have for our friends out there who are, you know, saying, well, what would I do? You know? Yep. Happy to do it. Um, so, you know, like any skydiver with 2,800 jumps, I've got a few of those stories. Um, I have rid, ridden my reserve parachute four times, so I can draw on those four and uh, give you a couple of, of instances. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. For people that don't know, you rode your reserve. What does that mean? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I should clarify that. So when you go up, you have a main parachute that you use on every jump, but you also have a reserve parachute packed by professional rigor that if something happens or is wrong with the first one, you can release it and then you use reserve. So in 2,800 jumps, I've used my reserve four times, which is right about on average. One every 800 jumps or so is typical, something like that. So I'm, wow. I guess I'm a little above average there. But anyway, or below, depending on how you want to think of it. But um, so in the 80s, when I was doing canopy relative work, we were building formations one day and we had what's called a wrap. And basically, uh, we crashed parachutes through each other. We were spinning, so I had one of my buddy's parachutes was wrapped around my head, and we were in a spinning, you know, mess of tangled canopies, and guys are screaming, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, okay, this is really bad, and your heart rate's pumping, and, and it's really, it's pretty frightening. It's one of the reasons I don't do a lot of crew anymore, canopy relative work, but, um, you know, you've got canopy around your head, and the thing you really learn there is you've got to keep yourself together and execute your safety procedure so and really make a judgment call so in this particular case um the the other guy that was wrapped up with me i I yelled at him to cut away i said kelly cut away i probably yelled with more panic in my voice than that and he did and um and i thought that would clear (laughs) his parachute but his parachute was still wrapped around my head and my back and um i finally got it off of my head where i could see which not being able to see while falling through the air is bad but I was, I was able to look up and see that my parachute was reasonably flying. And uh, then I had a decision to make. I could either cut away uh, and ride my reserve or I could try to land this mix of parachutes. And it wasn't a great decision to have to make because, you know, I've got one parachute wrapped around mine so it's not flying quite right. The other parachute was also wrapped around my back so I couldn't see if it was covering my reserve and if it would clear. So I made the decision to land the two together. And it obviously worked out okay. I'm still here. It was kind of a rough landing. It was kind of funny. We have a P-pit, which is designed for accuracy jumps. And I thought because it's a little softer, the gravel. So I thought if I could hit that P-pit, I would be, um, if I hit a little, which I knew I was going to, I thought that might be softer. Well, the parachute didn't fly quite like it normally did because it wasn't flying right. I ended up like just a few feet short of the P's and I kind of crunched in. So lots of people were watching uh, on the ground and you would expect them to come running out and check if you're okay, but mostly what they do is just laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said P-Pit, and I, I was thinking <laughs> P-double-E. <laughs> I mean, with that experience yep. like that, wow. Another one that's similar was a couple of years ago. I had, I'd been upgrading my canopies to more and more aggressive ones, and um, I had gone to what's called the Katana 150. Um, it's 150 square feet. To give you some sense, in the old days, I jumped a 230 square foot canopy. So much. this is a much smaller canopy, which means it reacts um, more aggressively to turns. Um, you get a lot more speed when you land. And consequently, there are some 
you know, there are some more dangers to it, but they're more fun for the advanced skydivers. And so um, I had, this was the seventh jump on this new canopy. And one of my buddies kept telling me, Hey, your body position is not very good on opening. And I'd done it that way for years. I had thousand plus jumps at this point in time. And I'm like, whatever. And um, sure enough, I did what I usually do, which was yank my head and look to watch the parachute open, which threw my body position out, which put the canopy in a spin that was non-recoverable. I knew as it flung me around two or three times, there was no way I was going to get that canopy to to fly straight. Uh, so again, you know, you got to think straight in those situations. And uh, I just went to my emergency procedures, which I practiced before every jump. Um, I released the main parachute with my right hand and then... Uh, in my canopy case, I actually don't have to pull the reserve, uh, so I waited to see if the reserve would come out, and it did. And, uh, you know, I followed the procedures carefully, but I think the most important thing about skydiving is you're going to get in situations like that, and you have to keep a calm head. Um, folks sometimes don't, and they pay a tough price for it if they, you know, if they panic under those circumstances. You just can't. We all get, you know, jacked up on adrenaline, but the key thing is um, you just really learn, I, I have to stay calm. You know, I... I saw something with my own eyes, and I'm going to tell this quick story because it's along the same lines of what you're talking about. When I tell the story, people think I'm making it up, but that's okay. I'm going to tell it anyway. It's a true story. One of the guys was quite a bit lower under canopy. A guy above him um, had a tangled chute, and Pete, he panicked. Just like you said, you got to keep a cool head. He didn't. He was screaming his way to the ground. And, of course, I, my heart's thumping, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm getting ready to see a, a huge tragedy. Well, one of the guys that was below looked up grabbed a toggle, swooped, and caught the guy's parachute as it fell by with his hands. It was unbelievable. I didn't think it was even possible. If you don't believe in miracles, folks, this this was a miracle moment. They both came down under one parachute. And uh, people would say it's not even possible, but it happened, and it blew my mind. But this guy saved this other guy's life. Yep, stranger things have happened for sure. It's, uh, it's a crazy world out there. Pete, tell us a funny story. You know, we talked about some scary times, but tell us a funny story about skydiving. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this is a little off color, so bear with me. But uh, when, you, when you're when you in a plane and you're climbing, there's less pressure uh, as you go up. So less air pressure. It's just like when you're in the ocean and you go down, you get more pressure on your body. And then as you come up, there's less pressure. Same thing when you're going up through the atmosphere because there's less air. So one of the things that happens is, uh, this is a little embarrassing, but people tend to pass gas as they go up. <laughs> You know, sometimes on an airplane, that's a little unpleasant. One of my buddies on this on our team was known for being particularly foul. And so one day we're in the Twin Otter. We're at the back of the plane. The door is open. And we're at like 7,000 feet. And um, passes gas. And it's so bad. The pilot who is 30 feet in front of us, and we have the doors open. The wind's blowing through. I mean, it's not, you know, like a closed system here. The pilot, he took the plane down 500 feet and then told everybody on the plane, listen, if anybody does that again, whoever that was, I'm landing the plane, nobody gets to jump. So so we told our buddy, hey, you got to stop that. It was, it was pretty rough. <laughs> and the poor pilot, the rest of you guys get to bail out, but what, it, he's stuck. Well, he is, but, you know, there's a lot of wind flung through the plane. That's why it was hard for us to believe he was affected because he's got a window that's open, and then we have the back door that's open. So there's there's air rushing through the plane. So he's okay once we get out, I think. <laughs> Wow. Well, what the listeners may have also picked up on in the uh, intro is that you've been an entrepreneur all these years. So how has that helped or harmed, you know, a career as an entrepreneur? How, do, how does that help your sport? 
Well, I'll say a couple things. Um, I think starting a business on your own is a bit of a, a risk. So it matches my personality um, that I would do that just like I would leap from planes. Uh, so it makes some sense. But uh, being an entrepreneur has been great because it has allowed me more flexibility to pursue my hobbies and my interests. Um, I love sailing. You mentioned that. And I love skydiving. And so it's really nice to be to have more flexibility in terms of time. Um, I don't have anyone I have to ask to get off work. I just have to decide if I can do it. And you know, my business will, will be in good shape or not. So I think being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur has been great uh, because it's allowed me so much flexibility and it's a, it's a decision like skydiving that I wouldn't, I wouldn't change for sure. So I know everyone wants to know what, what's your line of work. Great question. Um, I own a couple of companies, all software and consulting in the energy space, which until six months ago, so it was a great business to be in, but uh, I run, um, the software company that we have. Uh, and I've got about 50 employees that work for me in that business. And then uh, one of my business partners runs a consulting firm um, and another business partner runs another uh, consulting firm. And so between the three of us, we have about uh, 80 employees and subcontractors who work for us in that industry. Wow, that's pretty cool. So a lot of people want to make that happen. It sounds exciting that you did it. It's fun. You know, it's like it's just like skydiving or anything else you do. It, it's work, right? You have to decide I'm going to do something. I'm going to work hard at it. And you have to be OK with failure. Taking a risk means you could fail. So sometimes you have to go start again or try something else, and you've got to just be okay with that. But uh, but taking those opportunities, whether it's leaping from a plane or starting a business, uh, those are things that I'm happy that I've done and, and have never regretted. Even when things haven't gone as well, um, I've still been grateful for the experiences. Among entrepreneurial circles, I think it's pretty common. People talk about how many times you might have to fail before you succeed. And people who have not tried the entrepreneurial path, we'll say it that way, they see someone who succeeded and they say, wow, you just, well, how lucky you were, man. You just, you just went out and did that and bang, you're making this money. You've got the lifestyle you wanted, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's pretty common for the entrepreneur to say, yeah, you don't know the eight times that I fell on my face before this one worked. <laughs> you know, the years of hard, hard work. And it was that part of your experience or were you uh, one of the luckier ones? Well, I think I've been, I, I think I've been very blessed, very lucky. There's no question about that. Uh, but it doesn't mean I haven't failed um, a number of times and suffered setbacks. Um, right now, the price of oil has greatly affected our business. It's a big setback for us, and we're working through it. So while it seems fun to run a business a lot of times, uh, right now um, it's less fun in the market. And, um, you know, you're trying to figure out how not to fail, and that's the key. So, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Just like any sport, you know, I watch people do other adventure sports that I like. One is kite surfing. And I went and tried kite surfing. And what I learned about kite surfing is if you want to do that, you have to work hard because it's not easy. And I think that's really the case for any any adventure sport. To be good at it, it requires a lot of work. Uh, it just happens to be fun while you're doing it. I couldn't agree more. It seems that we learn more from our mistakes often than we do from our easy successes. It's those times that we fail and learn that we, you know, we maybe gain the most ground. So I, I just don't believe that failure is failure anymore. You know, it's it's all progress toward the prize. That's right. It's a learning experience, I think. And uh, I try to do that every day with things happening in my business or my personal life or whatever. I try to learn from it and say, okay, well, how do I do this better next time? Whether it's a skydive that I didn't do as well or, you know, a business decision that I made that came back to bite me. Right. Well, Pete, how back to skydiving. How does skydiving benefit society or individuals as a whole? What has it done for you in your life? You know, I touched on this earlier that there's such a camaraderie to it. And what I'll say is, uh, like any person in the world, I've had ups and downs in my life. Uh, things 
where things haven't been as good. What I've loved about skydiving is that it's like a brotherhood. It's a group of people, men and women, that you you know meet at this drop zone, and you're all drawn by the same thing. And people are not perfect, right? Certainly not at drop zones or any other place. But you meet a group of people that I feel like are generally you know a lot of good folks. And I have made some of the best friends of my entire life through skydiving. Um, one of my current business partners, I actually met skydiving and uh, he became a, a key factor in my business success over the last few years. And I just feel like it's been it's been so rewarding. The friendships I've made and the, the sense of community that I have from that sport, uh, I'm just very grateful for uh, for how it brings people together from diverse backgrounds. And you'll, you'll walk away from the sport realizing you've made some of the best friends of your life. And I think I think skydiving is a little bit unique in that because of how it brings people together to make these jumps on a plane. So different than sailing, which I love equally, but where I'm still sailing my own boat and it's the people I took out to go skydiving, you're meeting with a group of people you may not know and it sort of forces you to interact and that's how you build that that friend and family base that you have. And it's been uh, deeply, deeply rewarding for me. Oh, that's great. Do you think that uh, skydiving is for everyone? You think everyone should give it a try or do you think that it takes a certain personality type? It's going to benefit some people more than others. I won't say that I think it's for everyone. Definitely. Um, I do think it's, there's some risk to it and, and people who are interested should think about it. It's not a roller coaster ride. Even on a tandem jump, you are taking your life into your hands when you jump from a plane. Um, there are some people who are just inherently afraid of heights and I don't think they should do it. Um, if they're terrified, don't do it. But that said, I think it's a great sport for a lot of people to try. And we see that a lot at the drop zone. A lot of people come out and make a tandem up and maybe that's all they're ever going to do. But I will say, well, open your mind to new experiences. And I think that's fantastic. And then there's that that small, small group of those of us that are really nuts who just love it and have to keep doing it. And you won't know if you're one of those folks who try it. I've met so many people who said I was going to make one tandem jump because it was on my bucket list. And then after I did it, I couldn't stop. I've been doing it for 10 years and I have 5,000 jumps or whatever it is. And uh I just think um, I think it's a great sport to try. If the idea sounds great, go do it. Well, that's cool. Well, folks, this has been another Adventure Sports Podcast interview with Pete Waldroop, skydiver extraordinaire. And Pete, thank you very much for your time. We sure appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, and I uh, appreciate it being here today, Kurt. Good talking. Yeah, take care. You too. Hey guys, would you like to help us make the Adventure Sports Podcast successful? Take a few minutes to rate us in iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe, rate, review. Thanks.